Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Let's begin in prayer as always. Lord God, we just give you honor and praise. We thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us together, Lord. Uh, thank you that uh, you're helping us through our week and um, through our month and year and all the things that concern us and all the things that we have to go through, Lord. And Lord, for us here tonight, Lord, we just thank you that uh, you guide us through this chapter in Daniel and you give us the application and, and how we are to appropriate this, what it means to us individually and corporately as the body of Christ. So Lord, I thank you for those that are here, those that are on vacation, traveling around home, recuperating. Lord, I just thank you that you're with all of us no matter where we're at. So in this, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, part four of Daniel. Uh, do all of Daniel chapter four today. Uh, remember, it's narrative. There's a story going on. and But then at the same time in the story, there's dreams and visions. So we get another one. It's, 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 it's kind of a, called a vision, but it's a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And uh, so Daniel's going to be called upon to interpret this dream again. And this is a very interesting dream. And so uh, let's just get into it and then uh, we'll see what questions arise out of this. So Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. This is Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation. Now, if you remember last week that we were talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar had decided to build a monument to himself. And, you know, it was 90 feet tall and 6 feet wide and all of this stuff. And then he gets uh, rebuked by God, basically, for building this thing uh, to himself. And uh, uh, so what happens is now he does his proclamation. But there's a problem in this proclamation. And I'm going to read it again and see if you can see what the problem is. It says... Well, and by the way, last week was where, uh, I'm sorry, last week was also where uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. And they were not burned. They were not singed. There was a fourth person in the, in the, in the uh, furnace, which we identified as Christ. And uh, so coming out of that, this is where we're at. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, that live in all the earth. He had, you know, this huge Babylonian empire, almost kind of like, almost like one world domination as the world was known at that point. So again, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now put there on your handout problem, question mark. 
Any of you see a problem there? Is he making it about himself? Yeah. Larry? No, I was going to say a couple of problems. Uh, he says uh, the most high God uh -huh. com in comparison to the other gods, maybe. And the other problem is uh, he says the most high God has performed the work. Yeah, what, 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 uh, what, what Raymond was saying. He's making it about himself now. And actually, as you read it from the original Aramaic, it's almost like that God has performed through me. So in other words, God was showing him something, but now he's turning it as, oh, God, God is doing this through me. I'm the big king, and now God has done this through me, when in actuality, God was actually showing Nebuchadnezzar something, who was, who's the real king, right, from, from last week. So the problem here is that Nebuchadnezzar is, yeah, he's making it about himself. He's, he's looking at it as, as uh, uh, he, there's, an, there's, there's an arrogance here of the king. Like most people with power, right? There's an arrogance, right? Uh, but something to think about. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride comes before the fall. So that's going to kind of preface where we're going tonight with this. Because the king is all puffed up. He's now been dealing with the Most High God. It is a name that is, that is in Daniel, about, I think about 13 times. It does refer to Yahweh. It doesn't refer to other gods. It does When it says Most High, Most High God or Most High King, it's referring to the God of the Bible, the Jewish uh, God, Yahweh, our God. And so... Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar is making it about himself. He's not really... Because when you give praise and honor to God, you're giving praise and honor to God because God has done all things. Right? You're thanking him for what he's done. That's what praise is. You're thanking God for what he's done on your behalf, not was, well, I thank God because what he's done through me. No, that's, that's, that's arrogance. That's pride. That's... Uh, someone that has not learned the lesson yet right okay so that makes sense right there okay now verses four to nine i nebuchadnezzar was at ease in my house now notice this is daniel is writing this but notice it's written in the in the first person here as if nebuchadnezzar is is writing it he says i nebuchadnezzar was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. This guy's got a lot of dreams to bother him, right? He's, he's a guy that's, you know, uh, God's obviously trying to get a hold of him and he's getting trying to do it through these dreams. He says, I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in and related the dream to them. And I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belt Belshazzar. 
according to the name of my God. Remember, he changed his name from Daniel to Balthazar. Uh, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, see, holy gods, small g. He's not giving praise, honor, and glory to the God that we know in the Bible. He says, And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. So this is almost like the first dream he had. He calls in the others and they can't do it. And this time, you know, Daniel shows up and Daniel interprets the dream. So he's bothered by his dream again. So these dreams are bothering him. And we don't know if he's having these dreams reoccurring all the time or if it's just this one instance. But whatever it is, it's powerful enough that it's bothering him. And he has to have an answer to this, right? Because kings have to have what? They have to have an answer. They have to to rule and reign, and they they feel they have a right to know everything, or at least pretend like they know everything. So uh, let's see what I want to say about that. Any questions about any of that? Yeah. Um, Two areas in, in yeah. my Bible, a little different than yours. I guess I have the New Living Translation, red yeah. letter, accordance. Yeah. Um, magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers came yeah. in. That usually doesn't represent God to me. No. And also in my Bible it says um, he was named Balthazar after my God mm -hmm. and spirit of the holy gods is in him. He's, he's in other words, he, he says, see, because Daniel's name is a, is, is a Hebrew name. So when they captured them and they brought them over, and in chapter 1, remember, they wanted the best and the brightest, and Daniel and his buddies were them. Yeah. And so they brought them into the king's palace, they educated them, and then they changed their names. They gave them Babylonian names yeah. after their own gods. So he did that name changing him as if he was going to change his culture. Right, that that's one thing you can't change, is culture. If you were born into a culture and that's who you, that's your culture. You can change where you live, yada yada yada. But your culture is your culture. I mean that that's who it is. So, yeah, there's a. This king is still, you know, he's he's arrogant. He still uh, thinks he's in control of everything. He thinks that uh, he can outdo you know, the God of Daniel. And so, in verse 10 to 18, it says, Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. So here he's going to outline it. And so I put down seven things here, and we'll kind of go over them. But if there's anything else you see, make note of it, we'll talk about it. Verse 10, Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong. Its height reached the sky. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field abound, found shade under it. And the birds of the sky 
dwelt in its branches. And all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a, lot, with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on its own whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay. So, here's the signs in the dream. There's a large, strong tree. There's a holy messenger. Then this tree is cut down uh, into just a stump. The stump remains. And then it says, your mind will be changed. You will not have the mind of a man. You have the mind of a beast. Uh, and this will go on for seven years. And then it ends with that uh, God is saying, this is my judgment. Okay. What do you think the dream is? Could be totally wrong here. There's a lot going on in all of that. Um, it seems to be like there's a, a struggle. I don't know. Large, strong tree represents God to me, and there seems to be some kind of a power struggle. I don't know. Something. You're right about that. There is a struggle. Yeah. I, there's a lot of imagery and analogies there, I just can't time in exactly how each one applies. Mm -hmm. The next verses are going are to interpret this, but based on what we see and what we hear, what do you see? The king. Hmm? The king. Um, and the future, but I'm not sure what time frame of so you have a strong tree, this is a holy messenger, a tree cut down, a stump <clears throat> remains. <clears throat> Someone's mind is going to be changed uh, so that they, they, they live like a, a, a almost deranged in, in a sense instead of uh, human-like. This is going to go on for seven years. And then the, the last part of this is this is God's judgment. It says, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. 
Yeah, there's de- there's a definite struggle here. There's a definite pronouncement of something's going to happen, and it's going to be future tense. Yeah, Phil. It almost sounds like a rerun of Joseph. Yes. Um, Joseph, you know, I was talking to somebody about this uh, right before you guys came in, that Joseph and Daniel, there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. A lot of parallels. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture in a second that's a parallel of something else that we've heard. But it's very similar to Joseph, in a, in a sense. You know, Daniel's story, you know, he was in the bottom, then he gets to the top, and then gets in trouble, goes down to the bottom, gets back to the top, and, and you know, all these stuff. But there's a struggle going on in there. But when in the Bible, wherever you see the struggle, what is the struggle? Good and evil, God and evil, sin and evil. It's like, it's like, like I would say, Pharaoh and Moses. The struggle isn't Pharaoh and Moses. The struggle is Pharaoh and God. Moses is just a messenger, right? So here, there's a struggle. It almost seems like a sequence to today's struggles in society. There's God. There's the right message and the wrong message. There's people whose faith has been cut down, but maybe there's something that could still grow from it. People's mind changes. A lot can happen in seven years, and ultimately there will be a judgment at the end of all of that. Bingo. Yeah. All that's in there, to a degree. Yeah, there. I think it's kind of interesting that uh, the subject of the dream changes from a plant to a man. Yes. To a beast. Yes. Almost like a metamorphosis. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. Let's hold it with that thought. Follow, and we talked a little bit about this last week because you could take current day events and drop them right down into Daniel. And you know, so now you've got this metamorphosis, which Juicy's talking about, and Raymond was talking about, that you now have someone going not in an upward direction towards God, but into a lower direction, right? So they're changing. There's a slide here. It goes from one thing, as Larry said, to now it's to something else, to something else. And so you see this, and and it's like in the world today. You see see the world uh, where we used to have certain standards and stuff and different things, and then you see it just slowly going a whole different direction, right? But yet, to Ray's point, where he said, and this is important, he says there's a stump there that yet still has a possibility of growth. Because he says, don't pull the stump out. So there is a possibility of growth. So when we look at this as if, if you know, what is God saying to us? And, and, and what is he saying to uh, uh, the one he's given the dream to? How does it relate to those people at that time? And how does it relate to us? How does it relate to humanity as a whole? How does it relate to the church structure? All of these things are, are, are in there. And so we have to look at it. And uh, just a little side note. Remind me if we have enough time uh, to talk about Bible translations. Because Ray made a point. He says, I have a new living translation. And I, I, I want to point out something about new living translation and other translations. Just just while we, I think we might have the time tonight. It won't take long. And if it does, what the heck? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it won't. It won't take long. Um, but remind me on that. I made a little note here. Okay. So, you ready to get into Daniel's interpretation? Okay. 
So, verse 19 to 27. And I wrote all those things down again in, in, in here, and I left some blank spaces where we're going to fill in what Daniel says these things are. See? Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled for what, as his thoughts alarmed him, the king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. What do you think's going on inside Daniel? Daniel's already got the knows where he's going with this. And so he's reluctant, right? And then he says, If only this was towards your adversaries and not you. So right there you get the idea. This is not going to turn out too good for the king. Right? It's a message. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but it seems to me that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar grew close to one another. I don't know. Yes, because, um, because you know, he needs Daniel. As much as he, his pride doesn't want him to say, I lean on Daniel, he needs Daniel. But at the same time, his arrogance and his pride wants to keep himself somewhat aloof from Daniel, but yet he still has to bring Daniel because he knows Daniel can give him the interpretations that he needs. So yeah, there is a certain closeness there, but at the same time, it's don't forget I'm the king. And, 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 you know, we're going to find out, uh, you know, eventually it's going to be the lion's den. So it's kind of a love-hate thing. There. Yeah. The wonder being that Daniel has already interpreted the dream for him, why he went through all of his magicians and everybody else, why he didn't just pull Daniel in immediately. Probably, and this is from the book of Steve, mm-hmm. that... that that was the custom, that was the way you did it, and Daniel might not have been present because it says then Daniel came, they might have been called and Daniel came in later but the protocol was that you, you went to them and because as he, he had done in the past, and you know he didn't know if this was going to be something that was going to be easy to interpret and it turned out it wasn't and so finally it, it was for Daniel to come and really Went through the chain of command. Yeah, mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, at one point, you know, he was he was gonna he was gonna slay them all because they couldn't interpret it. So you know, he, he gave him a second a second chance there because of what Daniel did. So so here we go. Put your seatbelts on. Verse twenty. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth. Now this is some tree, right? And whose foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. So who's the tree? Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom because he had the largest, most powerful kingdom up until that time. 
And that's going to be some of the themes as we get to the later part of Daniel. And he's, and he's prophesying about the kingdoms that are going to come that are going to try to have world domination again. So at this time, Babylonian Empire is the empire of empires, okay, historically. So the trees Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom. So far, so good, right? It says, And in that the king, verse 23, saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree, destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with the band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass him over. Now there's a lot there. The angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven is a what? Angel, messenger from God, right? So that's from God. So the messenger, in other words, is someone who says, thus saith the Lord. This is what God is, is going to do. So the one that you saw is God's messenger saying, this is what God is going to do. Um, chop down the tree, destroy it. So cut the tree down. This is a fallen kingdom because the kingdom was great. And now you're going to chop the kingdom up, right? Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. Now, at this point, we don't know why, but we just have a stump down there. And uh, the stump can also be a reminder of what was once a big, beautiful tree or a reminder of what was once a great kingdom, right? And with a band of iron and bronze around it. The reason the band of iron and bronze is there is that was the, that was the working metals of the day. That was what they used. That was their stuff. Around it, in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew from heaven. And in other words, rain from heaven. Let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass him over. This is where his mind is changed. It's almost like he's having a mental breakdown or he will be uh, uh, um, uh, uh, it's kind of like uh, he goes crazy you know it's like it says in the dream he's going to be eating like, like an animal in the field so he's going to go from this lofty king who has everything given to him everything done to him to now all of a sudden he's, he's going to be scrounging around like an animal Steve, yes Beast of the field, beast of burden. So a beast will generally refer to a working animal like an ox or something like that, a beast of burden. But a beast is also a metaphor in end time events. As we get to later, there's, there's yeah. So so that's also there. There's, there's a lot of interchangeable things here that, that will come up later in the book. Seven years will pass. Uh, this will be seven years uh, until uh, he comes back to his senses, and there's a reason he comes back to his his senses, his his, his senses. And then the, part seven there is judgment. Uh, you know, 
God cannot be stopped in what God is going to do. God is going to be God. And this whole dream is saying that, you know, you thought you were this great thing. You thought you were unstoppable. You thought you no one could hold you back. But yet I'm here to tell you, your kingdom is going to be taken from you. It's going to be remain. There's just going to be a stump. For seven years, you were, going to, you, were, you were going to be out of your mind until you return to your senses. Now, when he returns to his senses, what does that mean? Because what is God trying to do to him? Wake him up. Hmm? Wake him up to what? To who God is. To what God is doing. And that, yeah, you're the king of the earth, but as he said earlier, he said, you know, I put you there. And I can take you out of there. Right? In other words, God, I control everything that goes on, he's saying. So don't think you're all that, you know. And so this is judgment. He's being judged for for his pride. Being judged for not recognizing what God is doing. But he's being judged for also trying to take credit for what God is doing. Yes, Trucy. I have a question about him band of bronze was it something like a pencil on a tree for protection yeah, yeah in other words it said that this stump in to Raymond's point we're going to get to in a second that it can grow again so it says you know while you're in this condition for seven years the stump which remained of your 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 kingdom is going to be protected somewhat so that when he comes back it will it will flourish again so that's, it's a protection around it. Thanks for bringing that up because I didn't write that in there. Anything else anybody sees in there? Because that's kind of all what he's doing there. So at this point, if you were the king, what would you do? Or the queen. <laughs> She's looking at me like, oh my king. Repent. Huh? Repent. Yeah, you, you, you'd think. Repent. Before You're judgment. getting. Or what? Before judgment. Repent. Yeah, because this is just a, a vision saying this is what's going to come. And what does God always do with the prophets and say, if you don't return, this is what's going to happen? So with God, again, this is theology. With God, there's always that opportunity before judgment comes to repent, to return. God doesn't say, I'm going to do this and you have no chance, no hope. He doesn't do that. He says, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. But we still have that time to get with the program. So, yeah, if you were the king or the queen, you'd be thinking... Wow, I guess I'm not all that I think I am. Right? Okay. So let's see what King Nebi does. Verse 28. Now this is interesting because we were talking in the first tense. Now verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. It's past tense now. It said all this happened to him. Um... And this is the story of how it came about. Twelve months later, so in other words, a year after this dream was given to him. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof 
of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? Here, a lot of my. Yeah, my, a lot of my. Yeah, um, me, my, I. Yeah, that kind of stuff doesn't fly. Yeah, I think it says a me, my, I, that doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah. It's a wrap, I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built? Remember, it's God who lifts up, who tears down, who builds, who destroys. It's God who does this. Not us. It's like, it's like I think I said Sunday. I said, you know, we, we can't create anything. We just put together what God has already created to make something. God's already created everything. We just put it together to turn it into something. We can't create anything. So somebody said, well, I created this. Oh, really? So you you were the ones that created the metals in the earth. You were the one that you know uh, created the cows and made the upholstery for the car. You the mm-hmm. you know you know no no uh-uh. you got allowed you to assemble what he already created. Right? Sorry, Steve. I've no good. I was just thinking of the movie Castaway, where Tom Hanks yells out, "Look what I created! I have created fire." Mm-hmm. He he the fire was there from the elements of. See, he knew how to how to use that. He knew the principles of it, but he didn't create the fire. God created the fire. But you see, see how the mind works? Now, drop this into the world today. And people, you know, look at what we've done. And, oh, we have to do this because of, and we're the ones that are watching out for you, and we're the ones at this, and I, and me, and mine, and I'm here, and you're there. God's playing field is level. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us are even the slightest a bit above anybody else. But yet some people will do that, right? Problem. So, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power? For the glory of my majesty. No, all praise and honor and glory go to God. Right? You know, you can see, there's no, this is not a indictment against wealth and power. Because if you have wealth and power, you just recognize where it came from. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, being put in a position of power or having wealth. It's just you recognize where it came from. That's not, the, that's... That in itself is not a problem. It's a problem where you think, now, me, this is what I did. Is that what would be referred to as a demigod mindset? Yeah. yeah it's idolatry when you break it all down. Because you, you now created yourself, in a sense, to be the god. Right? And that's what a lot of people do. Because what was he doing? I did this, my power, my might, my ability, me, I me you know, big problem um, verse 31 well the word was in the king's mouth now while he's saying this on his walking around probably in this elegant robe 
you know, and all this stuff. While he's saying this, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Whoa. Where, where does his kingdom be removed from? Heaven. So who's removing it? God. And you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. It reminds me of Cain. I don't know why, the way God just threw him out of Eden. Something. Well, we all got thrown out of Eden. Right, and that, just in this one, though, just reminded me of the story of Cain and how yeah. he was exiled. Yeah. And, and, but to Adriana's point was that you're going to be for seven years until what? Until you repent. Yes. Until you're willing to admit where all this power came from where this ability came from. But notice, it's going to take him seven years. It's a long time of suffering. Which he didn't have to go through. Think of it in terms of people that don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Why? Pride? Yeah. Pride don't want to change pride thinking oh I'm going to lose this or I'm not going to have whatever again you know if God is doing it what what can ever be wrong with it so why wouldn't we gravitate towards it unless we just don't understand who God is Nebuchadnezzar here does not understand who God is he's all powerful right any thoughts questions would it be appropriate to say this is the sins of the flesh as it is is appropriate to maybe say it's pride or are they two different things? No, it's the same thing. Uh, pride pride in the sense of this. When you're taking glory that belongs to God, uh, that's a sin. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's sin. Uh, God really hates pride. Yes. Big time. Yes, big time. So, Yaakov. In my Bible, it's the fourth chapter here, the numbers are all set outside the text, but all the other ones, the the numbers are within the text. The indentation number, these are, it's only the fourth, and it's like, am I missing something? Part of it is, um, I'm not sure which translation you have or who the editor is on. New King James Version. New King James Version. What they might be making a distinguish in here is that you have to read in the notes there somewhere. Part of it is written in Hebrew, part of it is written in Aramaic. And I think the part that's written in Aramaic, your numbers are going to be outside. Okay. I, I know. Know. Yeah, because there's actually a white space that runs on it, like you could write in it or something as well. Yeah, and so there's there's that going on. and But then there's also uh, what you have, like say verses 14 to 17, there, there there's an indentation. No, the whole chapter uh, 4. Or it's indentation. So when you have an indentation like that, it means it's poetry. Oh, mine is the same way. Yeah. Well, here you have, like in mine, 
you'll have poetry, narrative, it's all narrative. This is generally narrative and poetry in here, but, see poetic, that's poetic there. But at the same time, this is always be like a song, but this is just straight narrative. That. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whereas, actually, see how the numbers are set aside. Yeah. But all the other ones are in them. Well, but only chapter four is. None of the others. Chapter five that goes back to the regular Bible. Yeah, it's showing. Yeah. It's showing. It's showing that it's in a poetic form. I knew yeah. I was missing something, but I didn't know what. Yeah, they call they call it when you break it down critically. They call it, there's a difference between poetry. Prose and narrative. So, it, and poetry isn't always, you know, it rhymes the same. Sometimes it'll, it can be acrostic. It means it starts with a different letter of the alphabet. Each line is a different letter of the alphabet. Or it's a song or like something psalms. like that. Hmm? Like psalms. Yeah, psalms, psalms are like that. They're all songs. Yeah. So, and they're all poetic. So, it's when you look at it, it's, it's not that block. Mm -hmm. Uniform writing because it's not narrative, mm -hmm. so that's that's an indication right there of what you're reading and, and how it's being read. The problem is when it switches from Hebrew to Aramaic, we don't generally know because we're just reading in, in English, you know, and so it'll it'll do that there because remember the first part of Daniel is written to uh, Gentiles. So uh, the, the bulk of it is going to be in Aramaic because that was the language of the time. The back part of it is going to be in Hebrew because it's written more to the Jews of the day. And that was their, their language. So good point to bring out. So we are 32. You've been driven away from mankind for seven years. Uh, 33. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. You. Sounds like Howard Hughes. Mm -hmm. um, and this is how we come to seven years as opposed to seven months. Because in seven months, his hair wouldn't grow this long or his nails. It takes seven years. Right? It does. All, all former hippies know this. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the way you, you interpret those things. So it's not a pretty picture, but you can see Steven Spielberg making a movie here, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, uh, yeah, so immediately this happens to him. So... Here's the guy who goes from the loftiest place uh, to the penthouse to the basement in an instant. Okay, that's judgment. And so that's why preaching the gospel is important because people don't realize that judgment comes that fast. This isn't a twinkling of an eye. We'll all be changed. So, you know, this is, this is fast. So it's written here in the past tense because it's already happened. Uh, you know, a year later, the king was feeling good about himself, and now the judgment comes. And this is what happens that 
you're preaching the gospel to somebody or whatever, and maybe they were sick or they got COVID, and now they're listening to you a little bit, and then now they recover from the COVID, they're not going to die, and so now they don't have time for the Jesus thing or whatever, and they're feeling good about themselves, and then something else happens, hits them, right? Bam. See, one thing with God, God is trying to get our attention, and he knows how to do it. It's just a matter is if we're going to give in, if our pride is going to give in and admit, I'm wrong. And what's the hardest thing for people to, to admit? I'm wrong. Yeah. Right, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> She's looking at me like, right, Steve? <laughs> I should have worn my T-shirt tonight that says, I'm an engineer. Just to save time, let's assume I'm never wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I like the like you on the pastor. Just assume I'm never. Yeah, that, that works. Okay, so now here's the outcome. Thirty-nine. I mean, uh, yeah, I put four thirty-nine, but it's actually four thirty-four. Verse four thirty-four. It says, "But at the end of that period." I, now it's back in first tense, right? I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now here's poetic form, right? For his dominion. And it's, again, this is praise and worship right here. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted, are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven. That's the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? This is repentance. Right? He's repented because what did he say before? Look at me. Look at what I have done. And before that, he was building the golden monument to himself. Right? Look at what I've done and, and all these things. And now, totally changed his tune. Even though it took him seven years, changed his tune. Verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me, for the glory and my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. So he ended up with more than what he had in the beginning. It was added to him. But what's going on here? The stump grew again, Right? That's why he said, leave the stump. And as Ray pointed out, you know, it, it can grow again. And so he's saying, grow it. I mean, cut it. Protect it. It's going to grow again. Based upon his repentance, turning to God, knowing who God is. So again, verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors. And my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. He knows now that who this comes to. What does this story remind you of? Your earlier Phil said 
you know, he was talking about, he's, you know, he, he said that, that, that Daniel and, and Joseph kind of parallel. What does this one little story right here sound like? Any other story in the Bible? I can't think of a story, but I can think of a word. And the word saved keeps coming to mind. But yeah, the saved is the salvation. Yeah. Catching the birth of the prodigal son. Yes, exactly. She's more biblically inclined than I was in the in the past. <laughs> well, no, but 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 you see in the you see in the parallel in in um, by the way, you see as a male, she sees as a female. I see. You see. Oh, see, yeah, I you see. see. Get it? Yeah, you see. Yeah. I see. I see <laughs> so, all yeah. the time, but I understand what you're saying. One, 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 one isn't, you know. So, uh, but, but, but the point is, yeah, if, if you know the story, if you don't know the story, you, yeah, you, you, you're not going to bring it. But knowing, knowing the story, yeah, it's a parallel of what's going to happen to the prodigal son. Because what the prodigal son do? He was eating. Yeah, he was. He was on his knees. He lost everything, out of what his pride. He wanted what his inheritance. Now he wanted to have it. Now he wanted to, you know, you know, live that rock and roll lifestyle. You know, he wanted all that stuff, and then he lost it all, and then he comes crawling back. But notice, in the story of the prodigal son, what happens? The dad goes to the father goes to meet him, puts the robe back on him, puts the ring back on him, calls for a feast, gives him the same position that he had before he fell. And so what happens here? He gets the same position he had before he fell. So what does it say about God? He's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving, loving God. And all he's asking us is to recognize him and give him praise and honor and glory for who he is and for what he's done. And so in the gospel message, how hard is that to accept? But yet it took Nebuchadnezzar seven years of eating grass to repent. Because the higher you are, the harder it is. Or the greater the pride, the harder it is. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a, a, a definite parallel. By the way, that story is in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. I wonder if uh, Nebuchadnezzar, during his period of insanity, might have had an inkling about what happened to him. Yeah. yeah. Maybe at the, the very end of the seven years, it dawned on him. And he said, oh. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, years and years ago, we had a study about uh, this story, and and the guy that was talking about it, uh, when uh, right at the time where uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, sanity was just restored to him, he kind of looked up. He was looking like a cow or something. He looked up and he said, "Moo," <laughs> to acknowledge. God, you know, and then boom, yeah. it all comes back. Yeah. Also, I wondered, uh, okay, he's crazy for seven years. Who's taking care of the kingdom? Well, that's the thing. It, it's we don't know, but you know the the bronze and iron fence are around there. So his administration, or whoever it is, whoever was in second command or third command, don't forget Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still there. Yeah. 
Now, I'm just wondering if there's some kind of in, inside fighting for, you know, I'm... There doesn't appear to be um, in a sense that the fence says it's the kingdom is going to be protected. It's cut down right now. It's not going to be what it was, mm -hmm. but the, the, the root of it is protected, so it will come back. So, yeah, I'm sure there probably was some infighting. There was a power grab somewhere and all that. How it relates in here is not really, you know, laid out, but, you mm. know, okay. humans are humans. wonder if it's written down in a history book or something. Um, knives are out and all that. There probably is, because there's a lot of parallel stuff, and we know that these events happen uh, because of parallel um, writings mm -hmm. on, on, on stuff like this. You know, th this is this is ancient history, but this is this isn't the only place you find it. You know, so yeah, um, juicy. Yeah. Well, you say that Nebuchadnezzar. Um, you were talking about you know at times became saved because now he's acknowledging that God is the most. So it certainly seems like yeah. Because why would God restore him and give him more if he hadn't? So, you know. Where is God looking for the change at? In the heart. Not, not in the head. In the heart. This is what you're passionate about. So, you know, you, you know, we can change our mind all the time, but it's like when you fall in love, you can't fall out of love. You fell in love. You know, this is, this is counseling 101. You've fallen in love, you can't just fall out of love. You fell into love, right? So... Therefore, it was a it was a uh, uh, it was a heart issue, as opposed to, well, yeah, I really like him. He's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that season's over. I'm moving on. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Um, Steve. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I heard the term the prodigal son returns. I remember it in the film I saw. Mm -hmm. uh, Twister. Bill Paxton came back. But the prodigal son returns. The weatherman to mm -hmm. chase tornadoes, but. <laughs> in high school, I took a cultural literacy class. Mm -hmm. The prodigal son returns. Is it is it a cliche or a cultural literacy term, or neither? Is strictly from the Bible in some way? I, I just it's a biblical story. It's a, it's a biblical story. In chapter fifteen of of uh, of Luke, there's three stories of of things being lost and then being found. And so the whole point is that we're, without God we are lost, but when we return to God we are found and we're saved. And so it's, it's the, you know, uh, sometimes they, it's referred to as the story of the prodigal son or it's referred to as the story of the lost son. What does the prodigal term mean? It means lost. It means, um, it means a little more. It means, uh, how do they say it? Once your own way, your own... Yeah. A song I was once lost, but now I am found. Is that a hymn or a song? Mm -hmm. It's a hymn. Yeah, okay. it's a hymn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that that's from that's from uh, uh, um, um, Amazing Grace. It's from Amazing Grace. Okay. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And it was written by a guy who who at one time was a uh, a captain of a ship that got commandeered to be a slave trader. And he gets saved, and he's a captain of a, of a ship that's transporting slaves back and forth. I didn't know that. So he gives, he gives that up, 
and then he goes uh, into seminary and all that, and then out of that he writes he writes the song, I Once Was Lost But Now I'm Found, who saved a wretch like me, you know, because of what he, what he was, he recognizes what he was and what he was doing. God pulled him out of that, and he became uh, a very famous writer of hymns and uh, uh, church, church father, him and his brother. And you Elvis didn't sing it or write it. You Elvis didn't write it. Mm-hmm. No, he sang it though. Yes, yeah, he sang it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a beautiful hymn. We we sing it. I think Shannon, I think Shannon sang it last week, didn't she? I think she sang it last week. Very popular. I think she did because I was joking with her when she was rehearsing it, and I said, um, "Who is it? Who is it that sings of the country singer, the girl?" Oh, um, Carrie Underwood? Yeah, I said, Carrie Underwood is so jealous right now. You know, I, was, I was teasing Shannon about about that, and her mom was just laughing. <laughs> you know, but yeah, Carrie Underwood's version is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're on your own. So let me finish this one little part here. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk with pride. That's the outcome. That's the that's the kicker right there. Uh, that's the interpretation, and that's the ampli- the application. What's the interpretation of the dream? Uh, I now Nebuchadnezzar praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are true, His ways are just, and He is able to humble those who walk with pride. So the bottom line is, he was walking with pride. He acknowledges God humbled him, and now instead of turning away from God like some people will do, right? He gravitated towards God, back to God. And that is repentance. That's not that's not what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Some people just give it lip service, they don't really believe it. You know. So he really believes this. And so this almost sounds New Testament y right there, like it came out of the New Testament. So that's the interpretation, the application of that. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor the king of heaven. So he, now, now he's no small K, no small G, the king of heaven. He makes, he, you're the king. For all his works are true, his ways are just. So even though he went through that seven years, he says his ways are just. Because the outcome is better than what it would have been without him. And he is able to humble those who walk with pride so again, that's the repentance factor. He admits he was walking with pride, and uh, he's been humbled by God. So uh, he, did, he didn't get bitter. Yeah, he didn't get bitter. Seven years. Didn't get bitter. See, again, that's true repentance. Okay, it went wrong. It was for for whatever reason, my pride, my whatever. But the prodigal son, the story in the prodigal son was that the dad in the story doesn't say, oh, wait till that kid comes back, because I know he's going to come back. He's going to waste all his money, and when he comes back, boy, I'm going to put him through hell when he comes back. He ain't never going to do that again to me and his brother and his mom and everybody else. I'm going to make him do this. I'm going to make him... He doesn't do that. He's waiting for him. He's actually looking for him to come, and then when he sees him coming, he goes out to meet him. So in other words, in sharing the gospel, when people are, are looking for God, God's not hiding behind a bush saying, come find me. 
God is moving towards that individual is that individual is moving towards God. And that's where the embrace happens. God doesn't stand back. God's not aloof. God is moving towards those who will accept him. Yes? What do you mean by that? Would it be wrong to pray that maybe praying for someone to come to Christ and be witness? Would it be wrong to pray that God would not give them peace at all until they realize that they need God? Yeah, because when you don't have God, you're going to be in turmoil anyway. You know, the, you know, a definition of hell is the absence of God. So we can be living in hell right now in a sense without God in our lives because we have no outcome, we have no eternity, we have no hope, we have no future. So people even that have a lot of power and wealth and position and stuff are in all this turmoil, you know. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't want to victimize anybody and say that they're not walking with God. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to use this as an example. You know, the story of the Olympic girl, you know, uh, Simone Biles, you know, and, you know, all of a sudden she says, you know, her, her head's not there yet. She, she, she can't do it. There's an inner turmoil going on inside her with what she had been trained to do all these years and what she'd done in the past, and all of a sudden she can't do it. I don't know what's going on in her life, and I'm not saying she's not walking with God or anything like that, but the point is is that when you don't have God, it will never get resolved. If you have God, it will get resolved. And so, yeah, I've I prayed that many times. I said, Lord, you know, don't, don't give them a minute's rest. Let them be wondering and confused and, and, and asking those questions about where am I going? And why don't I have peace? You know, because God is the one that gives us that peace. So, yeah. So, pretty good stuff in Daniel, huh? So, again, that's the application. That's that's where it's at. And next week we get to something, the writing on the wall. You ever see those little things about the writings on the wall? Where'd that come from? Daniel. Or you see in those old movies and you see all the writing on the wall? Comes from Daniel. Yes, thank you. Bible translations. Raymond said you have a New Living Translation. That's correct. Yes. New, New Living Translation is a translation that is more wordy than other translations. For in other words, where in Hebrew there's one word for love. Now, in English, there's one word for love. In Hebrew, there's seven different words for love. In other words, it distinguishes between love of God, love of self, love of family, love of things. Those are all different words. We have to wrap a sentence around in English the word love to make us understand, oh, it's brother-sister love as opposed to husband and wife love. Or, and so what a living translation does, it uses more of those words, more of those adjectives to now extrapolate and make the sentence a little bit longer, but it gives you a few extra words to, to uh, uh, bring out the meaning of it. And it's called the New Living Translation, and uh, it's been around for a while. It's a good translation to have. Uh, it's, it's, it's I always use New American Standard. And the reason I use New American Standard is it's the one that's used in seminaries 
and stuff, but it's the most literal. You know, where it says it's a dog, it's a dog. It doesn't, it doesn't change it as a wolf or something else. It's a very literal translation. Okay? Now, where did translations come from? Originally, Old Testament was in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic. New Testament was written in, 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 in Greek because that was the language of the learned at that time. Then what happened was that Latin became the language in the schools. So then the Latin began to take over, and it's known as the Latin Vulgate translation. So in other words, they took the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek, and they now did it all in Latin. And so, because that was the language of chemistry and science and, you know, all that stuff. It was in Latin. But it was not, and a lot of the people spoke Latin in the Roman Empire and in, in later, but eventually that language began to die out and it was, just became an academic language. So around the time of Martin Luther in the 1500s, you had, you had the people were populating different countries and now you had this Bible uh, that Rome was kind of the center of in, in Europe trying to dictate, not to everybody because the Eastern Church didn't fall under Roman's, Roman, church, Roman Church's rule, but they were doing everything in, 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 in Latin. But one of the things that Martin Luther did, he says, we need to change the translation into, into the vernacular. We need to change it into the language of the people. So he translated the Bible into, into, into uh, German, and they wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to kill him for this. And then after that, um, right around the same time, uh, uh, King Henry uh, to have, I forget, I think the year was in 1506, it could be 1512, but it was to celebrate the anniversary of his coronation, it was X amount of years, he wanted the Bible translated, uh, I, I mean it was King James, not King Henry, King James, he wanted the Bible translated into English. So he got a bunch of scholars together and they ramrodded this thing through in about a year, and it came up with the King James Version, which was the pulpit standard for years. The original King James Version was flawed because it was a rush job. And so what they went back later, they went and they took all the mistakes out because they went back to the documents that they had at the time, and they redid it. And uh, then that became the standard because now English became the language that most people used. You still have Bibles translated into other, other languages. And so then when you now come over here, it's in English, they're using the King James Version, but over here we didn't want to have anything to do with anything that had the title King because we were, we were fleeing that stuff. So they want to start coming up with their own translations. And so... Eventually, what you had was uh, 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 the English translation, or they call it the century translation, and it's basically taking what the King James had and now taking it and putting it in the language of the time. In other words, 
we no longer say, I tarrieth, mm. I waiteth on thee, O greatest, <laughs> for thouest. <laughs> we don't talk like that anymore. So it just changes to say that, yes, I wait on you, O God, because your ways are great. Right? And so it just changes it into that. And so um, all of the translations from the King James forward have been copies or upgrades of the King James. Now you get to the 1900s and you get da, 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 the New American Standard. What the New American Standard did was they went back to the original transcripts as we had them and now retranslated forward. So it was just a liter little more literal in the language of the day. And so that's why you had American Standard Bible. This came about in, I think, 1968, 69, 70, new American Standard. You also have the revised version, which is very similar to this. The new revised version, very similar to this. Then you, then you had the new King James, because it just takes the King James words and puts them in the language that people were using in the 60s and 70s. See, English has 150,000 words in it, but we only use about 15,000 of them. We don't use all our words. So, and it's getting shrinking every year. So what they do, they, they have to now accommodate that and, and put it so that the, it's words that, that we understand, words that we're using. It doesn't change meaning. It's not changing meaning. It's just putting it in language that people will understand. So the New Living Translation just adds words so you get a more rounded picture of it as opposed to if you're looking and you're reading something and it says dominion. What does dominion really mean? Well, just go to your Bible or your phone, write in the word dominion, and then put Strong's. And if you're reading it in the Old Testament, put Hebrew. And all of a sudden, it'll pop up, and it will say, dominion means caretaker of. You get the, you get the root meaning of it. So... His living translation, instead of saying dominion, will say, and he is, has dominion as caretaker over. Same thing, it just adds the words there to it. And so if it's in the New Testament, you write Greek. You put, you put the word Strong's, like Strong's with an S, that's a Strong's concordance, Strong's, and then you put Greek, because you want the translation uh, from Greek and then now it will give you the translation from the Greek of that word final example the word peculiar in the Old Testament it says my people are a peculiar people when you look it up in Greek I mean when you look it up in Hebrew as it's first written it means something that's special to you something that you own it's peculiar to you okay in our language, something peculiar means that's a little peculiar. That's a little, but the original meaning of it means it's it's peculiar to you because you like it. It's yours, okay. But that same word peculiar, when you look it up in Greek, it means the same thing except my people are a peculiar people. Now that peculiar means it's something special to you, but you paid a price for it. Jesus paid the price. New Testament. 
That's the difference. So, so that's the way you get that uh, uh, enhancement out of the text. Peculiar means in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't paid the price yet. New Testament, he has paid the price. So peculiar in English is just peculiar. We have to wrap a sentence around it. But if you break it down from its original, you get it. Man, Jesus paid the price. That's why we're peculiar. So that's that. So maybe we can do, if you want, we can do one of these studies on how to use all the tools that are available to us and how to study the Bible, how to get more out of it and things like that. Because there's so much available now that, I mean, you just click on, on that uh, and you can get so much stuff. But that's the easiest thing, Strong's Concordance. And it's just readily available. You don't have to pay for anything. You just put it in the words pop up. So anytime you're reading and you're not sure what that word means, just do a Strong's fast search and you'll get, you'll get the meaning of it. So does that help? I'm going to turn this off because it's going for a while. Good night. <laughs> this won't turn off. Oh, well. Anyway, any other thoughts, questions? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that uh, for the insight into Daniel. Lord, we thank you that these stories that you give us these dreams, these visions Lord, that Daniel's in the Bible for a reason Lord, and we thank you Lord that tonight we were able to just partially uncover some of the reasons behind it that we can gather uh, understanding but Lord, we can also gather the application what does it mean to me personally, what does it mean to my ministry, what does it mean to the church how does this reveal the world around us to us, Lord? And so, Father, as we, as we read and, and our eyes are open and our ears are open and our heart is open to hear and to see and to receive what you have for us, Lord, we thank you that we can put our feet to this and move in the direction that you want us to go. So, Lord, I thank you that as we uh, leave this sanctuary but not your presence, you continue to guide us, strengthen us, watch over us, and encourage us in all these things. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise and glory. As Nebuchadnezzar said, to praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all of your works are true, all of your ways are just. Uh, and, Lord, that you will humble those who walk with pride. And so, Lord, we remember this. And so, Lord, we just pray for those who walk in pride, Lord, and that, as Juicy pointed out, Lord, that we don't give them a minute of rest over this, Lord, that uh, they be uncomfortable without you, Lord, and that they would uh, uh, want to seek you out and that they would be willing to hear the gospel, Lord. So, Father, again, in all this, we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for letting me ramble a little bit longer. Thank you. Now, Steve, about that leather jacket that I saw you wearing in the 70s. Oh, yeah.